welcome to episode four of Let's Ask an Expert, a show where a novice host asks expert guests above average questions. I'm your host, Andrew Smith, and thank you for listening wherever you may be listening to us. You can follow the show on social media, on Facebook by searching Let's Ask an Expert, on Twitter at, at, at Ask an Expert Show, and on Instagram at, at Let's Ask an Expert. And if you've missed any of the previous episodes of the show, do not worry. You can listen to every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever expert podcasts can be found. Tonight's guest, a longtime friend of mine, a friend of the show, at least I hope he is. I think he is. He is an expert in online poker, particularly in single table and multi-table tournaments. He has years of experience as a poker coach and successfully managed a stable of other professional online poker players. And as an online pro, he has traveled the world playing the game he loves best, including stops in Vancouver, British Columbia, Mexico, Thailand, Croatia, and New Zealand. He's also, like I mentioned, a friend of mine who enjoys cats, Pokemon, and Asian cuisine. Please welcome to Let's Ask an Expert, Aaron Baroni. Aaron, welcome to the show. I really like that intro into that last part. I, I got a lot less cool um, at the end. Um, thanks for having I'm me. I'm going to humanize you a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it made me a lot look a lot nerdier, but I mean it's not wrong, so can't really get mad at you about that. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's fun to be here. Uh, tell our audience where you're from originally and where you currently reside. I'm um, originally from uh, California. Um, currently, I'm living in uh, Auckland, New Zealand. Been here about six, seven months. Um, actually, only planned on being here for about four to five, but because of the current pandemic. Um, just we had to extend our stay a bit longer, and I don't really mind. Of all the places I've listed so far, where does where does New Zealand rank within all these exotic locales that you've lived in? So, uh, as for Auckland City, it's very low or on that list actually. Um, but the surrounding area of New Zealand is beautiful. Like I love we we took some road trips and drove around and saw other areas, and it was great. But the city itself is meh. It's fine. Um, I, I think that it's it doesn't have I, uh, the the food and culture that I actually really appreciated in uh, either Vancouver, Mexico, or Thailand. Um, so it's you know I don't want people from New Zealand to hear this and think I'm just you know shitting on their town, but uh, or their country. But it's not my favorite, um, which I guess. I guess some people don't want to hear that, right? They want to hear when you travel, everything's amazing. But if I had to rank them, this would probably be near the bottom of my list. But it's not like any of those places I would say to people are bad to visit. I've just been lucky that I've got to go to a lot of places that I really enjoyed. So you would then say that New Zealand does not... Uh, It does not not, uh, reach the top of my list. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> On Let's Ask an Expert, I invite all my guests to enjoy a drink with me during the show. It can be alcoholic, non-alcoholic, tea, juice, coffee, beer, wine, whatever you fancy. Aaron, what did you choose to go with? It's what, today over there? to Tonight? It is 2 p.m., 2.30 uh, on okay. a Wednesday. Um, I am having uh, a coffee, which is pretty rare for me to have a coffee at this time of the, of the day, actually. Um, but... Today was my, my day off, so I didn't have one in the morning. And, you know, I'm 
I'm pretty addicted to caffeine at this point, so I need one. And this is the one I'm going to, or this is the time I'm going to have it today. Fair enough. I have a hard cider from a local, uh, not wine shop, but uh, winery. There we go. There's the word I'm looking for. Uh, just outside of uh, Dayton, Ohio. So with a nice, crisp, hard cider. Um, very refreshing. Okay, let's start. Let's start here. And this was a, a question, you know, that that you you kind of came up with. I think it's a good place to start with. What qualities, in your opinion, does a winning po- pro poker player possess? Um, I think that a like a strong mathematical background is an important place to start. Um, it the game is not as complex mathematically as uh, you know you don't need as high of a level math as you do in other professions. Um, I have a lot of my friends who I started playing poker with turn like end up being either being uh, math majors in college or became engineers where they use some form of mathematics. They were much better than I was at that sort of, or at those subjects. Um, but when it came to poker, I ended up being better than them. Um, I think just because the math that's needed is more like a basic arithmetic than anything higher than that. But you definitely need a strong background in that to be aware, to be able to calculate the the odds you're getting in certain situations um, and the equity in the pot you need to continue to be profitable, things like that. Um, aside from that, I think just uh, discipline is really important, knowing which games that you can beat um, based on, you know, like logic and reason and fact rather than what games you think you can beat because you, I don't know, aren't able to check your ego at the door um, because there are very successful poker players um, in the world. And it doesn't mean they're all the same skill level. So there, there's, if there's a guy who's making X amount of money, or let's say there's a guy at the top, right? Like he's, you think he had the highest stakes, he's probably the best, but somebody who's playing lower can make uh, a significant amount of money if they find the right games to play in. You know, it's a, just a matter of, um, avoiding t- opponents that you think are significantly better than you and playing against opponents who you have an edge on. Um, if you look at various sports leagues around the world, uh, well, I mean, you could take basketball, for example. You know, there are guys who play in the NBA for a little bit. They struggle. They go to some European league or some Australian league and they become the MVP, right? Or they become a, a very important uh, elite player. And so I, I think that... Uh, game selecting is really important. Um, and that is part of discipline. So those I think are the two most important things. Um, but there, uh, are a lot of other things that branch off from that. How important would you say it is to look good in a hoodie and drink a caffeinated beverage at the table, right? That's kind of the image we see on TV of a seemingly successful player. Yeah. I really don't like that. Like, it really bothers me that, um, because the game at at its core is supposed to be a social game, right? And it's a really anti-social image. Um, I'm not saying that people should wear suits to the table. Like, uh, I know there's a guy named Tony Bond, I think, who made that. That was his thing. Um, But, you know, uh, I don't know anybody who really looks good in a hoodie. And it's, I don't think it's a healthy image for the, the game itself. Um, 
I mean, when you watch those shows or the like broadcasts of poker, you know, it almost looks like it's just nine homeless people around a table. Um, and I, I wish it wasn't the case, right? Uh, but currently that's just how it is. I mean, it's not like I dress better when I'm playing online poker, but at least I'm not surrounded by other people. <laughs> true, very true. Um, so we've established kind of like what, you know, you said to be uh, the traits of a successful online poker player. And that certainly is you. But at one point in time, obviously, that wasn't the case. So how did you start out playing poker? And, and how did your first foray into online poker end up going? Uh, I started out playing poker when I was in my teens. I was in high school. And um, some friends of mine and I just, it became a thing we did on Thursday nights. Uh, we played for very little amount of money. I think it was, uh, we played cash games where the force bets, the blinds are actual money. Um, and I think we, we played for $8. Like it was like $8 to, to play, to buy in. So the money wasn't important, but we were super competitive. We were like just with each other. We all were, you know, um, we all wanted to win. And um, that's just how we started playing. And in the beginning, I didn't do very well. Um, I would get frustrated if I wasn't doing very well. And the internet was sort of a new thing back then. Um, and I just decided like, well, maybe I'll use this internet search and see what people have to think about poker, what people, what ideas they, they have, what, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for, what strategies they use. And uh, just implementing some of those and then discussing the game with other people on like message boards, I got better over time. You know, being a slight loser in my game to being uh, the best player in that game. Um, but, you know, at the time, I'm, I mean, I'm not like I'm winning a bunch of money. Um, I'm winning, you know, uh, $15, $20 a night every Thursday. It's not like <laughs> I'm about to retire on this. Um, but I wanted to see how good I was against other people who weren't my friends. Um, because I just wanted to see if I was actually good or maybe we were just all were really bad and I was the least bad of the bunch. And I wanted to put money online. My parents were very against it at the time. Because um, again, like using the internet was a new thing and they were afraid that people were gonna steal my identity. You know, if you put your credit card information online, um, just bad things are gonna happen, right? And we agreed that I would deposit a small amount of money. If it went poorly, I would never bother them again about it. Um, and actually, to start out, it did go pretty poorly. I, I talked about discipline earlier as being a, a very important uh, thing for a poker player to be successful. And in the beginning, I just didn't have it. Um, I would play cash games, and I would not... I, I wanted, It was a fun game, so I'd want to keep playing until I wasn't enjoying the game anymore. And when you're winning, it's fun. Right. So I would just if I was winning and doing well, I would want to keep playing and playing for hours on end. I'd only want to leave when I got frustrated, when I lost money or so like there were times I would still leave up money, but I would only leave, only end the session when I had a negative experience. And a lot of times that did mean like, hey, I played until I lost money. I was, you know, and that is ultimately a pretty bad result if you're trying to make money off this. Um, and around uh, 
I don't know, maybe a week or so into playing, two weeks into playing, I discovered they had tournaments that were better suited for me because when I lost the tournament, the table closed down. It was over. I couldn't be upset and decide to, I mean, I guess I could in theory load another one, but those took, you know, at, at the shortest amount of time, like 45 minutes to an hour. And so there was some finality to playing those games, which helped me improve my own discipline. Um, I actually think if I never would have discovered those games, I wouldn't have been successful at it, uh, you know, because at that point I just wasn't uh, disciplined enough to stop when uh, I needed to. Uh, But thankfully that got me on the right path. And um, like, I've just been playing ever since. Uh, For our audience's sake, uh, what, what year was this? Like what, what timeline was this when you first uh, deposited it online? 2004, 2003, maybe. Um, I know we started playing when I was in high school and that was uh, like probably around 2002, but I don't think I put money on for a year or two. It might've even been after I graduated. So anywhere from like 2003 to 2005, I would guess is about around when I put money online. That's right around the moneymaker boom, right? Yeah, I'm guessing that's like what started uh, our interest as a as a friend group into playing poker. It wasn't like we had done this before. I'm sure it just showed up on ESPN and we thought it was cool and we wanted to play uh, amongst ourselves. You, you touched on it a little bit already about uh, talking to other people and, you know, reading some stuff online. How did you start to improve initially? Because, you know, I I know in my experience uh, playing online poker and then I'm sure for lots of other people as well that they just kind of, I don't know, feel their way through the dark. Uh, What what changed or clicked that allowed you to to improve and and how quick was that improvement process for you? The the first thing that really helped was recognizing that just because I was dealt a hand doesn't mean I have to play. Like it's really fun to play poker hands, right? Like people don't uh, drive all the way to the casino to fold, right? They want to play, but uh, using, you know, like certain hands have more value than other hands. Certain hands are really low in the value range and should just be folded. Um, And having a, uh, a general guideline for starting hand selection really helped me build that discipline a little bit. Um, and when you, when I started, it was a time where like the games are much harder now, but back then really anybody could have made money playing poker if they just folded a little more often. It wasn't even about like high level. I fold, I fold it all the time. And what I'm happened? sure you did better by folding all the time than if you would have played every hand. Um, <laughs> it might not have went as well as you wanted, but it was still an improvement. And, like, that's how I started out. Um, I mean, the, the tournaments that I played actually rewarded a strategy that folded a lot um, more than, the, than, than cash games. Um, because in those tournaments, you had nine players and everyone bought in. And then all, the top three players at the end of it would make money. So if I'm playing with nine players left and one player, like, and I just wait a little bit and two players go out, well, now there's seven left. Now I have a better chance of getting top three because there's, you know, 22% of the field has been eliminated. So just that one strategy of 
learning to fold a little more um, really helped improve my results in that format. You, uh, so we talk about here, obviously playing online and, uh, and continuing to get better. There's then a point in your, in your life and, and, and kind of help me remind, remind me when exactly this was where you, you, uh, you had finished your undergrad at college and Mm -hmm. you decided to pursue law school. Um, but you're also starting to get really, really good or, or quite a bit better, I guess, if you want to interpret that way. At, at online poker. And then you make this decision to pursue it full time. What was that? Talk about kind of like the mindset in pursuing, you know, deciding to pursue that full time and, you know, what, what that was like for you. How comfortable were you in your decision at first? Well, after undergrad, I had, I had a year between undergrad and when law school would start. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was because I kind of dragged my feet on applications. And by the time I was going to take the LSAT and then apply, uh, I was going to be too late for that calendar year. So I was going to have to wait. Um, And uh, I could have gotten a minimum wage job. Like at that point, you know, like that's really all I was qualified for. Um, And I just, well, I didn't really want to. And I like I'd been playing poker um, semi semi regularly for the last couple of years and done pretty well at it as a, as a per hour basis. I had tracked what my hourly was. Um, I even remember going into a, well, it wasn't really a job interview, but it was when I had a job at a, at a day, like a daycare center, uh, like a summer camp thing. And we were renegotiating me getting a raise. And she, uh, my, my boss had said like, this is the amount we're going to pay you. We think it's more than fair. And I had turned it down and she'd asked me why. And I was like, well, I'm making, much more playing online poker. And she just like laughed me out of the room, which is a fair response, um, right? Like they're not gonna match that. Um, that's, you know, a ridiculous thing for me to bring up, but I, you know, that's what I wanted. I, that's what I felt I could make playing online poker. So I decided but, to get a job. But you you don't get the joy of of children um, yes, playing online is, poker. You're right. It's another, another win. Um, but, so I, I had already made, played for a while. I figured out what I thought my hourly was approximately playing this game. And I decided to do that between my year between undergrad and law school. And that had went really well. Uh, having nine months or 10 months of, of a, a sample um, gave me more confidence. And that was what my true win rate was um, rather than like, I just got lucky for a period of time. Um, so when I, when I was in law school, um, I really stopped playing for the most part and try to dedicate myself to that. Um, but in the back of my mind, I always thought like, well, I could just give this up and go make this hourly uh, and do something I enjoyed more. Uh, and as time went on, I felt the itch to play more and I enjoyed my time in law school less. Um, uh, the environment itself wasn't super friendly, but it wasn't as cutthroat as people make it out to be. Right. Like, like there, I heard stories of people like giving each other like fake exam notes so they could finish higher on the um, the sliding scale of who gets ranked, the rank, those class rankings. I, I had never I didn't associate people with who did that. I didn't know anybody who did that, um, but I just didn't enjoy the material. And um, I just made a decision at the end of my first year. Um, I had told myself that um, I would stick it out for the full year. 
But, you know, I was kind of hoping I would fail. I was hoping I'd be one of the 20 or 30% of people who don't make it to the, the second year. And when I passed, I was pretty unhappy about it. Um, I didn't want to go to a second year or continue with my second year. And I decided at that point, like, um, if I'm unhappy about passing, you know, this just isn't for me. And um, thankfully, I had poker as my fallback. Um, I think it's pretty rare that somebody says that a life of professional gambling was their fallback plan, but it was. And um, I got right back into uh, playing. And by actually, like, after a short period of time, my hourly increased, which was great because I put more work into my game. Um, and yeah, I guess then I, from after one year of law school, I just transitioned back into being a professional poker player um, and really have no regrets about that at all. What, what was the first like day, the first week, first month of playing professionally for you like now, now knowing that it's a job, right? Cause that, I mean, that you have a, you had a fallback, right? I mean, you're pursuing um, extra education at mm-hmm. one point, right? So it's not like, well, if this goes south, there's always that. You've chosen this path now. What was, I mean, what did that feel like now that like, this is it? Um, It was, for me, I had always tried to treat it like a job before in that, in that previous year when I've, I, you know, had between undergrad and law school, it, I treated it as my job. Uh, the hard thing was people around me didn't see it as a job. And um, it, it was, it was tough to put in the hours when people were saying like, yeah, you can work anytime you want. So come hang out with me or come to this social event or let's do this or take the day off. You can work tomorrow. But part of being self-employed is having the discipline. Again. That's our, there's that word again, discipline to put in the time um, even when you really would rather be doing something else. Um, and so I was already prepared for that. Um, my, I, I was pretty uh, strict about hours I would put in in a week. I had this program that would track uh, how many hours I would play in a week or a month, um, along with other statistics. And other poker players at the time, and my friends as well, were surprised how many hours I was putting in. I was putting in uh, 30, 40, sometimes 50-hour weeks uh, on the tables and even among other poker players, that's a lot. Like when you can make money at something, um, on your own time, a lot of people will only work as much as they need to, to pay their bills or whatever. Um, and I, you know, uh, enjoyed the game so much where it didn't really feel like work. So, uh, it was a little bit difficult at times among friends of mine. I had friends of mine who kind of pushed back against the idea that I was spending more time at my computer, right? Like I'd rather play this game than hang out with them. Um, Cause I think they didn't see it as a, as a job. Um, and even today there are people who still obviously don't see it as a job. Uh, but I think if you are going to be successful at it or, you know, any of your passions, you need to treat it like that. You need to give it the full effort and energy. Otherwise, um, you're not going to, you know, reach the level that you want to reach. Well, what's it, I mean, what's it like putting in a uh, 50 plus hour week at the tables? I mean, then, and you you still, I, I think, 
say to do, say you do it now too, right? I mean, what, what's the, every job is different. So if I work 50 hours a week, you know, eh, it's not as stressful. I don't know if I, you know, if I did podcasting full time, that might be different, but what's, what's like the mental tax taxing on your brain, like for sitting there at the computer, having to process information, making important bottom line, you know, money decisions like that for that amount of time in a week. It, uh, it varies like depending on how well, uh, you're running in terms of like, if you're, if you feel over that period of time that, but let's just say this, if I have a day and I play eight to 10 hours and I make money, I feel a lot better about that day than I do. If I lose money, people don't want to go to work all day, put in, you know, wake up early, put in the effort, um, you know, and then not get paid. And that's a really hard thing to stomach, uh, especially in the beginning when I was playing, which was like, look, I did everything right at least at the time I thought it was right as right, as right as I could, you know, do. And it didn't work out. I would have been better off sleeping in, um, you know, lighting this money on fire, you know, and that was really frustrating. It still is frustrating at times. Uh, I think just the way we're wired as, as people, uh, when people are very result oriented in any aspect of life. Uh, and, and when poker, you can't be that way. You need to rely on, look, I made the correct mathematical or fundamental or theoretically sound decision. And whether this results in me making money in this one situation, this one spot, this one hand, it's not relevant. Like I'm in it for the long run, right? I'm not, it's not a blackjack table where I'm trying to like double up and leave. So uh, it's, it can be taxing, certainly mentally to put in a lot of work, a lot of hours, a lot of effort and not have your, your results match up with uh you know the the time and effort you put in but you have to avoid uh feeling uh that you that you failed because if i have a day where i've had days where i each day you're not going to play the same level of um like you're you're not going to play as well every day as you do other days some days you're a little mentally tired some days you're frustrated like we're all human beings we're going to make mistakes but just because i make a lot of money one day and lose a lot of money the next day. It doesn't mean on day one, I played super well and day two, you know, I just shit the bed, right? Like it's, that's not how it, it doesn't correlate exactly like that. And so I just try to focus on the decisions themselves, right? Like my goal is to make the right decision. What happens after I put the chips in, how the cards fall, it's not up to me. I can't control that. And learning to let go of that is a process. Uh, it's not something that you ever fully master, uh, as well as learning about the game. Like I had people say to me, okay, you played poker for like two or three years. So now you know everything there is to know. Not even close. Okay. Well, you know, you dealt with the swing. So now it doesn't bother you when you lose money. Now still going to bother me. It's, you know, it's just a constant state of, uh, I guess, self awareness and evaluation and just trying to improve at both the game itself and then dealing with the reverberations of the outcome of the game. I'm going to have to chide you here a little bit because you're jumping ahead. I was going to ask you about these things later uh, on, man. I thought these were, I, these are all connected. Well, they are, you know, that, that's fine. It comes up organically. That's okay. Let's get to the good stuff here. The really good stuff, the money, right? People want to know about it. How often are you asked 
how much money do you make? I would say every time that I talk to somebody who doesn't know I play poker for a living and it comes up like, and, and like, you know, somebody, I meet somebody in a group. If we get any alone time whatsoever, it comes up there. I'm asked that question. I'm asked some version of how much did you make in your biggest win, your biggest loss, your biggest day, your biggest month, your biggest year. Um, you know, uh, I'll be asked stuff like, you know, do you play with the big, you know, do you have that big pile of money at the table? You know, like if you're playing live poker, like all, it's some version of how much do you make pretty much every time. And I thought a lot about it because we had talked previously about uh, that question. Um, and I've talked with other people about it. And I, some poker players get really offended. Some want to just talk about all the money all the time. Um, and I realized for me, whether... I'm offended by it really depends on the person asking the question and their tone, how I, how I, how I judge their intentions. If somebody asks me that question and they have this disapproving look, you know, like, Oh, you can make money at that, that sort of tone. Like I, you know, I'm more likely to tell them, yes, I can. This is how much I can make. Um, I'm doing really well. You know, thanks for coming. But that sort of thing. But if they're genuinely interested, if they're trying, if they're just intrigued and curious, like even though it's a bit of a faux pas to ask somebody about how much money they make, I understand they don't, they're not coming from a place of, uh, I guess, I guess a place of disdain. Um, they're just, they just want to know, you know? And I think if I met somebody who was an Instagram influencer and they, they were making a bunch be intrigued i didn't know this is something five ten years ago you could make money at you just post pictures on the internet and people pay you this is crazy and i wouldn't mean to to diminish their profession i would be legitimately curious so i try to keep that in mind when people ask me i mean how often are you asked that question uh now versus oh i don't know five seven years ago i mean because it like it's it's more known, you know, especially in the last few years that, yeah, that's something you can make money at and quite a bit at it. Right. Mm. So, I mean, I guess, is it, are you surprised that other people are surprised that, that this is something that can, that can pay well. And then the answers vary and, and all that kind of stuff in 2020. No, I mean, it's more well known among my social circle. It's probably it's more well known among your social circle because we had the you know we have a lot of overlap there, but it's not I don't think really well known among the general population, um, not even like in not even the general Western population, which is more aware of it than like when I was in Thailand that wasn't something I talked about with people, but if it ever came up like among non poker players, that was shocking, and you know I, I'm so I'm not surprised. Um, that people aren't very aware of it. It definitely doesn't happen to me as much as it used to, but that's because slowly in my life, like people found out about it. I got the questions from the beginning and then the novelty of that kind of subsided. And then we didn't really talk about it anymore. Um, it happens only now when I meet either friends of friends. Um, it'll happen if like uh, I just strike up a conversation with a stranger on an airplane. Like, it doesn't really happen often now, but that's just because I'm not out there making a bunch of new friends. I think, I think if I was more social in general 
and meeting more people on a regular basis um, and having in-depth conversations with, with them, it would come up just as much. How many times when someone has asked you how much money or in some roundabout way, how much money you make playing poker professionally, has that then led to some terrible story about how they misplayed a hand one time at a buddy's house or something like that, like a jumping off point for, well, let me ask you this then about a hand or something. I try to, like I try that. to block those out because it happens. I wouldn't say it happens super often, but it happens enough and no one wants to hear it as a, as a poker player. Who's been on the bad side, like the unlucky side of things. Um, it's very rare. I hear one of those stories and I, I'm going to have sympathy. Right. And it's not, I think I'm a pretty empathetic person. It's just, it says, yeah, that was unfortunate for you, but either I've experienced worse in terms of money or they made a mistake that they're not aware of, or, you know, it's, or we can get into the, the, the minutia of the actual skill of uh, strategy of what happened in this situation. But I don't think it's worth it for us to discuss it because we're on different levels of our understanding of the game. Um, it does happen. And uh, I, I have had my taxes done by the same uh, CPA for about six or seven years now. He is fantastic. He is very friendly. He does a great job. Um, you know, he reminds me when I'm late with certain things. He's been amazing. I couldn't recommend him more. But I'm not going to mention his name because every time I go in there to talk to him, he will tell me the same story about this one time at a poker game that his friend was hosting who played in the World Series of Poker. You know, that guy was telling everybody how to play. But then he played him heads up and he beat him and everyone, you know, I don't know, showered him with adoration. I've heard a version of that story for like seven years in a row. And, you know, so I'll think I'll hear things like that and I will treat it, you know, with the same politeness that I when I heard it the first time. And that's generally how I approach those situations. Like people are trying to share their story with me. I'll be polite about it. Right. Like I don't need to really comment on it. But, you know, I wish that I didn't hear those bad beat type stories. Um, but, you know, in a way they're just trying to connect. And I think as people, that's what we do, right? Someone tells us a story about themselves and we try to relay it or, or connect it to something that we have um, some sort of experience with. For the sake of our personal conversations, when, when you retire or decide to go with someone else, will you Will you tell me about the time when you go in there and finally tell him off about those stories? Like, you know what, Tim? No, I don't want to hear it. You're terrible. And that's all there is to it. No, you know, like there's a saying in poker, which is like, it, it, it's the saying is you don't tap the glass. And that saying refers to the fact that your opponents who are weaker than you, who aren't as good as you, who are the ones paying your salary in a roundabout way, the term for those opponents uh, is fish, right? And so when there's a fish in a fish tank, you don't just tap it to get its attention. You just kind of let it swim around, let it swim around. And so I wouldn't say anything. Um, even if like, I, I guess if the story was offensive to me in some way, I would say something. But again, like I'm judging his intent. It's not to brag about his own thing. It's just to connect in some way. So, you know, I can leave it at that. Do you at all derive a certain level of pride when someone reacts positively, when you tell them that you are a pro poker player? I think I used to. I used to really like it. 
because like how I was, long ago? So let's say maybe for the first five years that I was playing, right? Like, it, like it, because it was still novel to me. It was interesting to me. Like, the, the, I, I anybody is happy when someone takes pride in what they do, right? Um, but maybe at that point in my life, I was less comfortable in it anyway. And so getting validation from others made me feel better. But now when I hear it, you know, I'm, I'm not unhappy, but it doesn't really do much for me. Uh, if anything, I realize now this conversation is going to last longer and um, I'm not going to really glean anything out of it. Like, I, I don't know. I, when people respond really positively or really negatively, um, either way, it doesn't really do much for me. I, I don't mind when they're, when they're curious and they're just, oh, I didn't know that. I, I think that's more interesting for me. Um, have, I had I'd met somebody actually um, maybe a year ago. It was somebody on a plane who was interested and they had a non-traditional job as well. And we just discussed the, the ins and outs of the, our two professions. And for me, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that a lot more than if somebody just says, you know, wow. Um, and it's like a fanboy about it. Uh, it's definitely a non-traditional career path and I don't mind it. If somebody has a lot of questions, I think that's, that's great. Like you want to learn more about something. I approve of that sort of mindset. Um, but if they're just, if they just think I'm the coolest thing ever, you know, I'm just going to take a deep sigh and try to get through that conversation. Folks don't, don't let him fool you. Uh, Aaron here cannot walk down the streets of Santa Rosa without a personal security detail from what I understand. So your your popularity has transcended your computer and into real life. Yeah, I don't think that's happened, especially not in my home. <laughs> like of all the places I'm going to be not cool, that's the main one. Not going to be Aaron Baroni Drive? No streets no, after Definitely not. I tried, man. I all right, let's that. Well, you know, that's I'm here for you. Talk about the swings of poker in a general sense. How much variance or volatility exists in poker and how much exists in the the types of games that you play because i you know we talked about you you play sit and goes multi-table tournaments but sometimes people just assume i think that online pros kind of all play the same stuff but it's different for you so explain that kind of thing so in a general sense there is a the luck plays a significant factor in people's results. Um, over time, it'll play a lower factor, but there's a reason why people play poker online for money and they don't play chess online for money. If I play against some grandmaster in chess, I'm not gonna win. I'm, I'm, I don't even know how good I am at chess, but let's pretend I'm an above average player. Well, not the bad at it, dude. Yeah, but the better player is just gonna crush you pretty much every time, unless they make some glaring mental mistake. But there's not really a luck factor involved in that game. Poker has a lot of luck factors built into it. And that's what makes people think they're really good when they're not. Um, that's what actually gives some regulars who are really good, some player professionals, gives them doubt when they're actually playing really well. It makes them change. People will change their strategy based on whether they're, you know, whether they won or lost that day. And that's a big mistake that, you know, I talked about earlier that people make is not letting the results dictate your decision making. Um, but in terms of the formats that I've played before, when I started out the, the sit and go format of a single table tournament, um, 
because you get to play so many of those in a small period of time, you re reach the proverbial long run quicker. And so the luck plays a smaller and smaller role as you get to that long run. Um, in these three-handed tournaments before as well, same, same thing. Um, you know, a single table tournament, few players, you're, you get to just play a bunch of them over a, a shorter period of time, so you reach that long run. In multi-table tournaments, it takes longer to get there because when there are more players in a tournament, there's just inherently more variance. Um, more, you know, more things can go wrong before you win the money, right? So it depends on the format that you're playing. The format that I'm playing now is multi-table tournaments, and it has the most variance of any format I've ever played, um, which makes the day-to-day -day swings more volatile, and it makes it even more important to, to just keep in mind that just because you won or lost one day is not reason to either celebrate or throw your computer out the window. Um, I, I know a lot of poker players who, when they had winning days, they wanted to spend all their money and celebrate. Um, and then when they would lose money, you know, they wanted to, uh, what is it? It's a phrase like, um, they just basically wanted to save as much as they could because they were afraid when the next score would come. And the real successful ones were those who just were more careful with their, uh, their money management and realize that you can go up, you can go down, and you really don't want to change your approach. Um, I think it's probably similar for people who trade stocks or uh, more notably are now like cryptocurrencies, right? You have a really big day. It's not time to like cash it all out and buy a yacht. Um, it's just you want to be smarter about your investment. When you had the worst downswing of your career and you don't have to mention a dollar amount you can if you want how long did it last and how did you deal with it Ooh, i'm so i don't know dollar amount exactly how much it was i think and i'm actually not sure if this was the biggest downturn i've ever had but there was a period in i would say maybe three three and a half years ago um maybe in like late november where I had a really bad stretch from like maybe late October through the end of December. And I know it was around that time month-wise because this uh, poker site offered a program, a rewards program, that basically said, look, if you, if you play enough over a calendar year, um, we're going to give you a bonus. And this bonus is going to be, I, I believe the bonus amount itself is like, I, it's been so long since they offered this, but I think it was like, $20,000, $20,000. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to reach that point at the end. I'm going to get my $20,000 bonus. Life's going to be good. But during the course of the year, I had charted out how much I needed to play each month, and, but I fell behind. So by like October, I was like, well, I'm way behind pace right here. I want to get that $20,000. I need to really ramp it up for the next few months. Unfortunately, every other reg, regular professional in the game that I was playing, it seemed like they did the same thing. They took off some time during the summer. Um, they didn't really play as hard as they could have in you know early spring. And we all had to just you know uh, play a lot more than normal to get to the finish line of our, of our bonus money um, for the players who were playing, I guess, the most volume of anybody on the site. And what that meant is now you've got 
all these professionals, normally maybe in a nine-person game, there's like five professionals, maybe six. And from like late October through December, it was nine of nine for basically all of it. And that was tough. Um, you know, even though I thought I was better than most of them, you know, you end up having to play a game with thinner edges, which means higher variance, which means, um, you know, just bigger swings and more unhappy days. And I think, I don't remember exactly how much I, I, I lost. It was definitely more than the bonus. Um, and dealing with that on a day-to-day -day basis was difficult. Uh, but I knew that, you know, I was profitable in these games, that I had the bankroll to withstand the swings, and that at the end of that, you know, uh, tunnel, I guess, was that bonus. Um, so, you know, I, I remember when I got there, I was like, well, I just put in two and a half months and lost money to get this $20,000 bonus. And I still, I think after that, I still ended up losing money, but it might be close actually. Um, and you know, it, it wasn't a fun thing to go through every day. And it wasn't like when I reached the end, it was all worth it. Um, but you know, during that stretch, I, I got fairly unlucky, but I can't control that again. Like that's not something that I can, uh, you know, have any, I have any power over all I have is power over the decision-making. And so my, the biggest takeaway I took from that or from that, that year was, Hey, if I'm going to do this again and go for this bonus, I need to be more diligent about stuff in January, February, March. I need to make sure I'm ahead of pace by the time I get to like October, November, when the games get tough. And the, the year after, that's what I did. So I got to take off more of those final two months and avoid the, all the professionals playing against each other um, around November, December. So was there ever a point where, I mean, not just like at, at this really low stretch for you, not just dollar-wise, but maybe emotionally too, was there ever a point where you ask yourself, is this, is this really for me? Yeah, that happens all the time. Like no matter, no matter how much success I've ever had, I'm always a short downswing away from being like, well, is this it? Is I'm, am I just going to pack things up? Like I've had a good run. Maybe it's time to get a real job. Like, am I enjoying this enough? Um, did everybody figure me out? Am I, have I went from being really good to really terrible overnight? And I don't think that sort of doubt is necessarily healthy. Um, by itself, but what it has done is motivate me to work harder on improving my game. So if I'm like, well, maybe I did become the worst player ever, right? Like that, that sort of mentality. Well, what can I do about that? Well, I can go spend more time studying on or studying my game, finding the areas where I'm leaking money, where I can improve, and then work harder to improve my edge. Um, the higher your edge is over your opponents, the less variance you're going to have. So if I'm concerned that I'm getting too unlucky in certain spots, well, what if I just play better than the other ones, right? I can't, again, I can't control the cards, how they fall, but I can control the betting. I can control the sizings. I can control whether I call or fold or raise. Like, and those are the things I would work on. Uh, so yeah, like from a mental standpoint, it's probably not good to have all that self-doubt, but uh, you know, it just folk, or, uh, forced me to work harder um, on my my game itself on the things I could control. 
Uh, and in that sense, it was very helpful. But I, I, don't, I think it's very natural to get down on yourself after negative results um, because we are such results-oriented creatures. And speaking of negative results and reacting to negative results, uh, explain to people what tilt is for those who are unaware and how you control your tilt. I think people who have a general idea of poker, that when they, they hear the word tilt, they think of just intense anger about how the results have not gone the way you want it to go. Just really being really upset, breaking things, slamming things. But uh, I, I think tilt, uh, ha in a broader sense, is letting your emotions control your decision-making, whether it's positive or negative emotions. If I have a really good day and I, you know, I make a bunch of money and I just feel on top of the world, if I decide the next day that like, I'm feeling pretty good, like I'm going to gamble here for these, these chips or I'm going to do something that's bad, but I feel like I'm going to win, like that's tilt. Like I am using my emotional state to, uh, you know, to, to make the decision for what, you know, for what I should do in this, any particular spot. And again, you don't want to use your emotions. You want to use math, logic, reason. Um, those it's, it's a mathematical game. Those are the things you want to use to drive, uh, your decision-making. So at it's very basic sense. Tilt is just emotional control instead of logical control. That's how I look at it. And it, I guess an example would be if you're playing blackjack and you feel like you've won, you've lost four hands in a row and the fifth hand you decide to just put all the money in because I'm not going to lose five in a row. Well, that's, that's tilt, right? If, you know, and if you're winning a bunch, you decide, oh, I'm, I'm hot tonight. Like I'm going to, I'm just winning them, beating this dealer so easily. And you, then you decide to put a bunch of money in there. Again, that's a form of tilt. Um, you know, you're, yeah. So I, I guess that's how I would explain it. Um, I think it's it's difficult for people to not get tilted, to not be annoyed by your results if things aren't going poorly, or to not you know overreact the other way if things are going well. But that's part of the discipline I referenced earlier: is trying to ignore all that outside stuff and focusing on this one decision in a vacuum. What is the best choice for me to make here, long term, and why? And that is a mathematical choice, not one based on how lucky you think you are. We, we touched on uh, this earlier, and I uh, chided you in a, in a friendly way about it. We're talking about the results, right? The results of poker. You think it's about how much I won or lost, but it's not really all about that, right? The good or profitable players of the world know that poker is not about the results, but an average person may not know that. What, is that. what does that really mean, though? Like, as a lot of people think, it's like, well, how much did you win today? Or how much did you lose? Well, there are poker players I know who are up lots of money, and I think I'm better than they are. But I'm sure there are poker players, and I'm positive this, who are up less money than I am, who are better at poker in, in theory, at theoretical poker. Uh, and, you know, I, I, we do use money as the measurement of success in this industry, even amongst ourselves, but it, it isn't everything, right? Like, if... If I have a fairly mediocre career, but I end up playing the World Series of Poker and I do very well and I win it for $10 million, I'm going to surpass all these people who might have been grinding out a living doing very well 
um, it doesn't mean that I'm better than them all of a sudden, right? So, you know, the results are definitely something that we as poker players still pay attention to. Uh, I don't, I think it's hard not to, but there is so much more to it than that. Um, there are programs that measure your equity, how much you should make if luck wasn't involved to some extent. Um, when I played sit and goes, those programs uh, were extremely accurate. It's harder to get that sort of accuracy in multi-table tournaments because there are more variables involved and they count, can't account for all of those. But in single-table tournaments, it was pretty easy. It would say, look, look, you should have made, in this tournament, if you play this tournament, uh, you should have made $18, but I lost 30 Okay, well, so I ran $48 under my expectation. So at the end of the month, I'd look at what my expectation was, and then I would look at what I actually made and see how much I got lucky or unlucky. Um, aside from a handful of poker players, though, poker professionals, all the poker professionals are going to, uh, are, are, well, not all, but the vast majority are going to win less money than they should have. Just because, like, you know, you're either gonna, it's hard to run at expectation. It's really difficult. Um, it's easy to run below it, or it's easy, uh, not easy, but like those who run above it seem to run way above it. Um, if I play a, uh, uh, that World Series of Poker for a $10,000 average or $10,000 buy-in, if I win it for $10 million, my equity in that tournament playing a million times is not, oh, I'm going to win that for $10 million every time. Maybe I'm supposed to win double my money, maybe triple. But when I win it for $10 million that one time, like that's going to be way over my EV. And I'm never going to, you know, at that point, I'm just going to be so far over it. It'll take me a thousand lifetimes to to get back to where I really should be. So I think that, you know, uh, there, the luck factor, um, unfortunately can influence results. So the people I think that are the most successful in this industry are those who have done it for a long, long time, have had more consistent results. Um, and generally those are going to be the ones who had a very mature, uh, approach to dealing with the, the swings of the game and how they set their schedules and just the discipline that they have overall. How long did it, did it take for you to, to fully grasp that results aren't everything concept? Years. I mean, I can't really put my finger on when, but you know, in the beginning when I'm starting out and I'm playing for money and I'm not sure how good I am, I'm only using the results. Right. I'm looking at how much money have I won or lost. I think I put on like $50 initially in my first deposit. If I'm up a thousand dollars overall, I feel pretty good. If I lose half that back. I feel pretty bad. If I lost it all, I would have felt like a failure. And yeah, that wouldn't have necessarily meant that I, you know, at my high point, I was the best or my low point, I was the worst, but, um, it took me, yeah, several years to realize it, especially when everybody around me, um, at least in the beginning, was convinced that, hey, you play online, well, if you win money, then you're good. If you lose it, then you're bad. Um, and that's just not necessarily uh, how, you know, the case. So it took several years. Um, and it's really easy to fall back down that rabbit hole of like, oh, I did poorly for a few months. Like, what's going on, right? And at the same time, if I have two or three amazing months in a row, I'm going to have a more inflated self a sense of how good I really am. 
Let's talk about becoming a pro poker player. In your opinion, is this something that anyone can do? Are there things that are, I mean, you touched on having um, good mathematical logic and being able to control tilt, making good decisions, studying the game. Is this something that anyone can learn? I mean, outside of maybe some obvious uh, roadblocks they may have in front of them, or is it more innate? Is it something like you get it or you don't? Well, I, I think it's a little easier for the general population to succeed in it, given there's no like athletic requirement, right? No matter how good I, or how much I want to play baseball, right, or basketball, like I just don't have the genetics to succeed, right? Like there's nothing That'd I can do. Truth. It's it's very true. Um, maybe in the European leagues, but uh, in poker, I still think there. I think the biggest roadblock really is people. If you're if you want to do it because it sounds like easy money, you're not like you're not going to be successful. Um, yes, the mathematical background is important. Um, I think a lot of the poker elements can be taught, but you know, uh, when it comes to, to success in any industry, passion is super important, right? Because I really enjoyed the game in the beginning. I still enjoy it. So it didn't, as I said before, it didn't feel like work. So when I play for 10 hours, um, like almost in the dark in my room, it was fun. I had no problem putting that time in. When I put in another five hours reading about the game and message boards or buying books and reading them, it was fun. I had no problem putting in the time. So I do think that if the vast majority of people put in the time and the effort and they want it bad enough, then they can succeed in, in most pursuits. People overestimate how much they really want something and underestimate uh, how hard it is to get there. Um, there's this, uh, there's this motivational YouTube speaker that I was popular a few years ago. I think his name was Eric Thomas and he had some, uh, I don't know, monologue, I guess I'll call it about how people want, say they want something, but they just don't want it bad enough. Right. Like they, they'd rather go to sleep. They'd rather go to a party. And I think this, this uh, video was talking about either getting in shape or something like that. And it's true. Like for a lot of people, they talk about, oh, I want to be really fit, but it takes, like, they don't want to make the sacrifice required for it. Um, whether it's not eating that cookie or working out twice a day or whatever. And I think when it comes to poker, um, there was a time where it was very easy to succeed, right? I said before, in the beginning, all I was doing is I was being a little bit tighter. I was folding a few more hands in my opponents and I, you know, saw more success because of that. But the game's gotten harder over time and now the sacrifices you need to make both in terms of time and effort um, are greater. And there are poker players I know who had success putting in minimal effort and now they're struggling. And that's hard for them to, to reconcile. They used to be really good at it, um, but maybe they're not willing to make the sacrifices and maybe there is an intellectual component um, that and I'm not saying that people are smarter. It's just a different field where like something clicks for some people and it doesn't for others. If someone is thinking of turning pro, what kinds of things uh, should they be prepared for 
or what kinds of things can they do to set them up for success in the best way? There's a lot of stuff out there, of course, like books, message boards, videos, whatever. But in your opinion, what, what do you think would help someone today in 2020? They decided to, I guess, move abroad and, and pursue online poker as a profession. So the first thing I would say is like, uh, in this example, I'm going to assume that they've played poker before and they've done reasonably okay at it. Or are we going to assume that they just, they think poker's neat from this podcast and they want to give it a shot? Which of those is more accurate? Boy, I, I, I hope I have that kind of influence on people. Man, <laughs> I'm just not so sure. Um, let's assume in this example then that they've played a little bit. Okay. So when I had started out, I had talked about how uh, I had played a little, like a fair amount. Um, and I figured out what I thought my hourly was, but I wanted to put together a bigger sample. So I would say one of the more important things to begin with is you want to build a sample of how many of, of, you know, X number of hours or hands or whatever that becomes statistically significant where you think, hey, over this sample of, of time, or whatever, I've made $30 an hour. I think that's what my, my hourly would be in this game, right? And then you also want to have savings. Because just because your your equity hourly, whatever it is, uh, is thirty dollars an hour, it doesn't mean you're going to make thirty an hour over the first hundred hours, first two hundred, the first five hundred, the first two thousand. So, um, you know, like when I had started out, like uh, within that year between undergrad and law school, and I told my parents, "Hey, I'm going to do this instead of getting a regular job," uh, they weren't super on board with it. But when I said, "Look, I have six months of savings." right? I have my rent and food and car payment, everything already paid off for the next six months. So if this, and then I, and then I have this poker money as well. So even if I blow through all this poker money, you're not going to worry. I have to send me a check, right? You're not gonna have to Western Union me some money. I've got this all set up. Um, so I don't have to worry about putting food on the table for six months. I, this is, you know, so not being influenced by the results means that like, you know, if things go poorly, I'm not going to adjust my strategy, right? Like, I mean, I don't have to change things. I don't have to worry about where's my next meal coming from. Um, I think a lot of players don't have that. I mean, I think people in general don't have savings. And when when your uh, profession involves days where you could lose money, like, you know, if you have, I don't know, $10,000 $10,000 in the bank saved up. But after a day of work today, you could be down to 9,500. Like most people with their jobs, the money doesn't go that way unless they have expenses. So I think you definitely want to have savings and be prepared for the potential swings um, of playing for a living, the ups and the downs and um, of that sort of nature. In terms of getting better at the game itself, um, there is a lot of good material now. In fact, there's a lot more good material now than there ever was uh, 10, 15 years ago, and it's more accessible to people because you can, there's a lot of poker trading sites online. There are, you can hire individual players as coaches. Uh, there's, as I said, video training sites, there, um, are online, significantly more online, like books available about poker, um, as well as the more traditional, uh, theory related books that came out several years ago, which probably aren't as good, but they're still fine. They're still better than nothing. So there's a lot of material to, to be uh, absorbed. Um, I think I would guess I would start there. Um, 
but I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. Like as I mentioned before, how important it is to be passionate about it because you're going to have to sift through a lot of material and spend a lot of time. And even if let's say I took somebody who just thought poker was neat from this podcast. And I said, look, I'm going to spend personally 20 hours talking about the game, answering all questions, right? They're going to get to a level where they're probably, you know, good enough to win some money online at the lower levels, but it's going to take more time. Um, if you're going to master anything, you're not going to be able to get to it super quickly. And so I think people who, who are legitimately interested about the game have a shot, but if you're doing it just to make money, it's going to be really hard to continue with it when things go poorly. And they, they ultimately will. Even the best poker players are going to have stretches where things do not go well for them. All right. Well, that's the main portion of the show. We've reached the rapid fire question round. How are you holding up over there, Aaron? I'm out of coffee, but I should be all right. Oh, boy. Well, I told you to get something else. <clears throat> I'll be fine. Okay. So you say. All right. Number one, who is the most popular poker player you can think of that most people think is good, but is actually quite awful? Ugh. I can only pick one. Um, I'll say this. The majority of old school poker professionals and the people that were popular on TV 10 years ago are pretty bad. But the reason they succeeded was because they played against worse opponents. They played, if you think of it like the way sports are set up, like they played in an era where everybody was, was worse, significantly worse. So it's easier to like, you know, not play as good, but just crush them and make money. So the majority of the poker celebrities that were created 10 years ago or more, um, their careers have not aged well. But I, I would actually guess they're still making money because uh, from their celebrity status, they were able to play in uh, easier games against rich people who just wanted to hang out with them. Um, I mean, they, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm in a roundabout way. I, it seems like I'm insulting them. But actually, like, they're doing what I talked about earlier. Like they're playing in softer games or playing against easier opponents and they're just making money at it. So good for them. Fit number two, finish this sentence. The best buffet in Las Vegas can be found at blank. There was a long time where my answer for this was uh, the win. Uh, I remember going to the win. I think it was back. Like, I think I won, I got like two tickets for signing up or something like that. And like, I was super excited. They had like uh, all you could eat crab legs and it was a really nice looking buffet. I was super excited by it. And when I started dating my girlfriend, um, she had said to me, no, no, no. Like Caesars is the best buffet. I was like, look, I go to Vegas a lot, lady. You know, I know what I'm talking about. And she's you like, ladied okay. her? I don't believe well, you. Of course I didn't her. say that to her. Are you serious? No way. Not a chance in the world I would talk to her like that. Um, I just, I thought she was wrong. I was very confident about it. We went to both when we visited Vegas for the first time together and I was blown away how wrong I was. Like Caesars was considerably better. Um, I, I, the thing I remember the most about Caesars, I don't think Wynn has this, is the dishes are individually presented. So you're not like eating out of a trough at some cafeteria. Like it's individual <laughs> dishes for people. They're all very fresh. They're just brought out in, like one after another. Um, they, yeah, 
we, we pretty much go to that buffet every time we go to Vegas. Um, and it's, it's an incredible buffet. Um, and given how expensive Vegas can be, the price point isn't really bad either. I think that if you, like they have other like casinos on the strip, the buffets are like $20, $25, but those are all trash, right? But the Caesars one is like 40. And yeah, it's, it's more expensive, but the quality is just unparalleled. But a bonus rapid fire question. Would you rather eat the at the buffet at the now defunct Bill's Gambling Hall or choose any other chain restaurant that is located on the strip? So for the rapid fire, am I supposed to answer these quickly or do I just get it? A... Yeah, it's, it's rapid with quotation marks. All right. Okay. Um, so I went to Bill's once. Um, the menus were like, I touched them. My hands were covered in grease. So bills is not the answer, whatever the other one is. I actually think that the chain restaurants in Vegas are, um, to a higher standard than they are in other parts of the nation of other parts of America. Um, like the, there's like a Chipotle in there, like in, on the strip in Harrah's, which is pretty solid. Um, I think that like, uh, the Outback Steakhouse, Outback Steakhouse, I, it gets a lot of shit from people who like steak, right? It's people don't give it, uh, you know, people, people look down on it. If you say, you know, like I asked my dad one time, I'd take him to any steakhouse in Vegas. He said, let's go to Outback. And I was like, eh, fine. You know, like I was going to treat him to what I thought was a really nice steak at some fancy restaurant. He wanted Outback and we went there and it was delicious. Like, I think the chain restaurants are out of a higher caliber, um, in Vegas, at least on the strip and casinos than they are elsewhere. So not bills and it's not close. What is or what are some of the most offensive things that someone has said to you during a sit and go or MTT multi-table tournament in online chat? What sticks out? Ooh. Um well for a while um I joked with with friends about making you know they have those calendars at like construction sites with like days without an accident they just cross mm -hmm. them off i was gonna make one of those for days without somebody telling me to get aids and i would have made it maybe four days five days at most like get aids i hope you get aids and die it's very common although i imagine because of the pandemic now like it's gonna change right though there's a more topical disease to wish upon me um that's a pretty standard thing uh the other day um the most recent one is some guy told me i was a like i won a pot against him in a spot where he played really poorly and was surprised his hand didn't win and then he spent the next like five minutes writing in chat how like i was a scammer and the site's rigged for me and he hates my guts and hopes i die and like it was like Nothing really stuck out, but it was the most recent thing of somebody abusing me in the chat. It happens a lot online because there's an anonymity of it. Um, but it's rarely anything creative. You know, I wish they were more creative with their insults. I really do. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like, and I, and I hope you die is sort of a, just a, a last resort or just a general go-to. But what if they said, like, I hope your favorite coffee shop closes and your gym goes out of business or something like something that really hit home, but that would like jump off the page at you. If there was something that they, 
Yeah, there was something that was like geocentric. Yeah, I appreciate creativity and insults all the time. Um, I have a friend of mine who, like a lot of my friends actually and I, we just talk crap to each other and it's not offensive. It's fine. But, you know, if somebody says something really funny at my expense, I can laugh at that. I will appreciate it. Um, And I I guess I'm just asking for the same thing out of my opponents at the table. Um, But live poker, it never happens. Um, Just never happens. I mean, not to me anyway. Um, the most, uh, it wasn't really offensive either. I played on Christmas one time and, um, Christmas, by the way, Christmas day is the saddest day to play poker in the casino. Maybe, maybe actually second after Thanksgiving because it's only people there who don't have families to go to. And it was really, I mean, I, I, at the time was living away from my family. Um, I was actually raised in a Jewish household. I'm not religious, but so for Christmas means really nothing to me. Um, and like uh, we had talked at the table about why we were there, like, and I had mentioned it, like, just randomly. Like, people were out talking about each other and their their lives and why they were at the casino on Christmas. And like, I don't know, some guy who brought the conversation up when he sucked out on me in a pot, like, yelled, "Thank you, Jesus!" And I was like, mm, "It's mildly offensive." Like, is he saying his God has brought him the pot? <laughs> like, it was it was annoying. I was more annoyed that I lost like three hundred dollars than the actual comment. But that's the only one that sticks out from live poker. Going on that, what is the most bizarre behavior you have ever witnessed at a live poker table? <sighs> that's that's a tough question. There's a lot. People like to eat while they're playing poker, and it's just gross. Like, there's unless you're eating like on, honestly, like a smoothie. Like, there's no food that's good to eat. I've I've seen a guy eat ribs and play poker before, and like touch the chips and the cards. Ribs slathered in barbecue sauce. That was pretty nasty. Um, I've seen people like, sneeze and touch their chips. And like, you're like, man, I got to win this pot, but I don't want to touch these chips. Like, that's pretty gross. Um, there was uh, there was an older gentleman at a casino one time in Vegas who was abusing the dealer. And so I, I don't remember what I did exactly. I think I won a pot against him. And... I might have slow rolled him, meaning like I made him think he won the pot, but he didn't. I don't know what I did, but I made him really upset and I did it on purpose. And then he wanted to fight me. Uh, and then he stood up and like fell down and then security came and escorted him out. Um, but like, I, that's probably not even the weirdest one. I'm sure there's a bunch of them. If I had more time, I could think of, uh, of better examples, but yeah, you see a lot of weird, a lot of weird shit at the poker table. Um, what if you were faced with a tough, River decision against sneeze guy and and barbecue ribs guy. How bad do you want that pot? That filthy, sauce covered, disease ridden pot. I think it's a win if I just fold right, not to touch it. Yeah. So like, at that point, I think I would just get yeah. I would be looking for reasons to fold. Um, yeah, I, people like allowing people to drink at the poker table is a pretty. It's a great thing for profit margins for people who know what they're doing. It's a really bad thing for like socializing with people. And I had said in the beginning, like, I wish poker at its core, it's a social game. It's supposed to somehow spark social interaction. But the majority of the experience I've had at at live poker tables are, you know, they, they make me wish that I wasn't there. 
they're not really friendly, fun experiences. And it's hard to maintain that sort of like um, amicable, uh, like uh, environment when your goal is to take the money from the guy who's sitting across from you. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a reason like I prefer playing online. Uh, part of it is I think it's more profitable, right? But part of it is just like, I get to avoid that whole thing altogether. Uh, Cause that's, it's a, just a breeding ground for bad beat stories and disgusting behavior. And the final one, uh, which online or live poker pro would you want to sit next to in a drunken good times cash game and why? I just, I get to pick any, I get to pick people who like, I know on a personal basis, like people sure. who aren't like, well, anyone. I mean, I mean, I have friends who are professionals who I would like to sit next to because they're fun and I would just have a good time. Um, but they're, I could mention their names, but it doesn't really, their name dropping them does nothing. Um, so I think of name pros of people that, that other people know. Um, I honestly, I can't think of any that I'm just like, oh, this is, this is the guy who I have a really fun time hanging out with. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't think of any. Do you, do you personally have any? Like maybe if you name some names of guys who come to mind for you that I can tell you if I want to sit with them or not. Scotty Wynn. Scotty Wynn, baby. Yeah, 100%. I was telling uh, my girlfriend today about Scotty Wynn. Just we were walking home and it came up. And I was talking about how um, there's this one ESPN broadcast where he gets really drunk and just like says random shit, like while he's heads up for a billion dollars, something like that, and just has a really good time. And I'm like, this guy seems like he's having a good time. He seems fun. Like, he, you know, I don't know if, if he's a good dude or not. I know nothing about him except what I saw. Um, but all the people that I would pick to sit next to in one of those live games are people who are actually look like they're having a good time. They're not the guys in hoodies. They're not the guys listening to music. Um, they're just like smiling and, and laughing and I don't know, at least pretending to enjoy themselves. Um, and like when I'm thankfully, like I have a group of friends I've played poker with live, including our gracious host here, who hey. when we play together, it's just hanging out and having fun. It's not everyone sits there quietly and stares at their cards and takes 10 minutes to fold. It's just, people hanging out, um, shooting the shit and then playing cards in the meantime. Well, that's all we have for episode four. I'd like to thank our expert guest, Aaron Baroni, also a Baroni 68 online. Um, usually this is the point where I, I allow the, the guests a chance to plug their social media channels. Which, which ones are you most active on? <sighs> I'm really bad about that. Um, this is an age where like a lot of poker players were able to parlay online poker players parlay their mediocre skill, but, uh, incredible grasp of social media and turn that into like some sort of successful career by like streaming their stuff on Twitch or like posting Instagram videos or selling, you know, selling their tournament shares at a huge markup on Facebook to their grandmas. And I just have done none of that. Like I, I've just continued to put my head down and grind. 
Um, so unfortunately, I'm not very active on any of them. Um, you, you'd think that based on, you know, how frequently I'm traveling, that my Instagram would be pretty good, but it's not. Um, it's good. It's good when you post. You got to post more, man. Yeah, see, like, I, I'm, I'm really bad at posting stuff regularly. Um, you know, I think that if I had a passion for that stuff, I could have succeeded in it, but I just don't. So um, the ones I'm most active on, probably every every month I'll post a picture on Instagram. So if you're really interested in seeing 12 photos a year, feel free to follow me at whatever my Instagram handle is. Um, Strong. AC Baroni, is that it? See, I don't even know what my own handle is. Strong. Um, yeah, I know, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I, unfortunately, I wish I had something to plug. I don't. Um, but, uh, you know, thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. And for our expert guest, Aaron Baroni, I am your host, Andrew Smith, and we will see you next time on Let's Ask an Expert. Thank you.